Well, at this time, if you would take your Bible, if you have one, and turn it to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number four. And uh, we're going to be reading verses four through nine, and that's where we'll be this morning. This is a very rich and familiar passage of scripture. Um, Philippians chapter four and verses four through nine. And if you would join me, if you're able to, in standing for the reading of God's word of respect and a reverence for the Word of God. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And let's pray together this morning. Lord, we're again grateful to be in your house. We're grateful for your word. And I pray, Lord, you would use your word uh, this morning uh, like a two-edged sword, that it would pierce to the dividing, uh, to who we really are. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, break the rocks and pieces and use your word like a hammer. I pray that you would draw us closer to you as a result of our time together this morning. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of you have ever heard the expression, you are what you eat? Would you raise your hand? Yes, I think all of us have heard that. Well, I want to share a true story about a man by the name of Mikel Litito. He was born in 1950, and he, uh, he passed away in 2007. But if you are what you eat, then this man, well, I'll let you decide as we go through this. During his lifetime, Mikel ate metal and glass throughout his lifetime, beginning in 1959. Doctors x-rayed his stomach and described his ability to consume two pounds of metal per day as unique. You think? <laughs> you think that's a little unique? Absolutely. His diet since 1966 included, get this, 18 bicycles... 15 supermarket carts, seven television sets, and these were not the flat screens that we have today. So seven television set, sets, six chandeliers. Now, never one time have I seen a chandelier and say, hmm, that looks good. He ate six chandeliers. He ate two beds. He ate a pair of skis. Oh, and to throw it in, a low-calorie Cessna light aircraft. He ate an airplane, ladies and gentlemen. And he, to top it off, ate a computer. If that wasn't enough, he is said to have provided the only example in history of a coffin handles it all ending up inside a man. Now, normally a man inside, ends up inside a coffin. But not in Mikhail's life. No, the coffin ended up in Mikhail. After he first became aware of his ability uh, when a glass from which he was drinking broke, and he decided, hmm, I'm going to see if I can eat this. Now, I don't know that that's a normal procedure. I, that's never happened to me. I've never uh, looked at glass and said, this looks delicious. Well, he began chewing the fragments, and get this, by October of 1997, Mikhail had eaten nearly nine tons of metal in his life. 
he made the comment that bananas and hard-boiled eggs made him ill. Yeah, I guess when you have that type of a diet, normal food just doesn't sit well with you. Um, but uh, Mr. Lotito died of natural causes on June 25, 2007, at the age of 57. Well, if you think about it, the adage of who you are or you are what you eat is somewhat true, though, isn't it? I mean, for the most part, when you eat healthy, that can mean that you are indeed healthy. But according, uh, and when you eat unhealthy, then oftentimes you're unhealthy. But according to the Bible, what I want us to look at this morning is not the adage, you are what you eat, but the adage, you are what you think. Because according to the Bible, you are indeed what you think. Proverbs 23 and verse 7, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said this, For as he thinketh in his, art, in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4 and verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So as you think in your heart, so are you, because as you think, it will eventually come out in action. And what goes on in between our ears is really one of the most important things about us, is our thought life. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, when he says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because you are what you think. Romans 8, and verse 5 Paul talks to the Romans about the thought life, and he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, they mind the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So he talks about the importance of our minds, the importance of our thought life. Psalm 139, the author of this psalm said this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. And then he says, Thou understandest my thought afar off. The fact is, God knows every thought that you have ever thought and will ever think. He understands it because he's God and he's all-knowing. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And that includes our thoughts. That includes the thoughts that only you and God know about. Not even your spouse, not your children, not your parents. Only you and God. God knows them all. They're all naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse number 9, The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. So every, every thought pattern that you've had, every train of thought that has gone down the railroad tracks in your life, God knows them all. Because as he thinketh in his heart, so is he, and you are what you think. Well, since we are indeed what we think, we better make sure we're thinking correctly. In this passage this morning that we just read from Philippians chapter number 4, Paul instructs us regarding our thought life. And so this morning I'd like to go through this passage and look at six ways God wants us to think. Six ways that God wants us to think. And I know that this is a very rich passage, and we could literally spend an entire sermon on each verse and I debated about to do that. So I'm just going to turn it into six messages, six sermons in length in one sitting. Just kidding. Um, we're going to do what we can to go through this quickly uh, because I know that this is a familiar passage and you've heard sermons from this before. Uh, but I want to remind us in this idea that you are what you think, so we better make sure we're thinking correctly. And Paul here is telling us how to think. First of all, he says in verse number four, to think with praise, to think with praise. Verse number four says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this isn't the only time he mentions and encourages the church at Philippi to rejoice. 
In, in chapter 3, in verse number 1, he begins that chapter with, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And that's why the title of this series is Rejoice in the Lord, because of the emphasis in this book to rejoice in Christ, to rejoice in the Lord. I want us to see here, first of all, the reason of our rejoicing. Someone has said, what, uh, what, what the world calls joy is actually happiness. And happiness depends on happenings. We may emerge from amusement park filled with happiness, but when we arrive at our automobile, we discover that someone put a dent in our door, then the happiness we were feeling quickly evaporates and is replaced by anger. In the words of Vance Havner, this world's happiness should be spelled happenance because it depends on what happens. But here we're to... We're instructed to rejoice in the Lord who never changes. Yes, our circumstances change, but God never does. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he is the Lord, and He changes not. And we can rejoice in the Lord. He is our rejoicing. He's the reason we can rejoice. If you choose to rejoice in your circumstances, there will be times that you will rejoice, but when those circumstances change, then your rejoicing will go away. But when your rejoicing is in the Lord, it can be continual. God wants us to think with praise, and we need to understand the reason of our rejoicing is, should be in the Lord. Because of His character, He never changes, and He is sovereign in everything that He allows in our lives, good or bad in our eyes, can all be good, used for, the good, uh, for, for God's good. He is a sovereign God. He is in charge, and everything that He allows is because He allowed it. He's in charge, and He is in control. There's never been a moment of your life where He messed up and let something happen that He went, Oh, no, I didn't realize that that... I, I'm really sorry about that. That, that. that slipped through the cracks. Nothing slips through the cracks with God because He is always in charge, and He is always in control. So he's sovereign, but he is also good. He is good. He is a good God, and he never ceases to be good. Even when something comes into our life that we didn't invite, that we didn't wish for, God is still good in those moments. And we can't say, oh, God, you're not being good right now. Yes, he is. He's always good. And so I want to encourage us to, the, the reason of our rejoicing should be in the Lord. But notice here the regularity of our rejoicing. In verse number 4, rejoice in the Lord. And then that little word there, always. When should we rejoice in the Lord? Always. Psalm 34 and verse 1, David said it this way, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. When should we rejoice in the Lord? Well, in the good times. When all is well in your life, when the bills are being paid and money is going into savings, and maybe you even receive a sizable financial windfall, rejoice in the Lord. When you hear good news from the doctor, rejoice in the Lord. When the children are getting along and doing their chores without being asked, after you wake up from your fainting, rejoice in the Lord. When your spouse does something nice for you out of the blue, rejoice in the Lord. When you realize that you live in Oklahoma and can pay about $2 a gallon for gasoline, when in California you have to pay almost double that, rejoice in the Lord. When you experience victory over temptation, rejoice in the Lord. On the mountaintop, rejoice in the Lord. But look, rejoicing in the Lord all the way also means rejoicing in the Lord during difficult, tough times too. When you don't know how in the world you're going to even make it until next payday, rejoice in the Lord. When you get a phone call from your doctor asking to see you in person, rejoice in the Lord. When you're dealing with medical issues that don't seem to be getting any better, rejoice in the Lord. When your family relationships are strained, rejoice in the Lord. When your puppy bites off your weather stripping on your door to the outside, rejoice in the Lord. Eric, I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> Look, when you're in the valley of life, rejoice in the Lord. 
Because the regularity of our rejoicing needs to be always. Rejoice in the Lord always. When you get the good grades on the tests and when you don't. When you get that promotion or when you get laid off. You fill in the blank. And what you're going through right now in your life. Yes, that's the time to rejoice in the Lord. Because it falls into the all-way category. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, Paul to the church at Thessalonica says this, two words, rejoice. Anybody know the other word? Evermore. Rejoice evermore means the same thing. So I'll give you credit. But yes, rejoice evermore. And we have reason to rejoice evermore because our rejoicing is not in our circumstances, but in the Lord. And once again, when your rejoicing is indeed in the Lord, then you can indeed rejoice in the Lord always because unlike your circumstances, He never changes. But then, thirdly, under this thought here, the reminder to rejoice. Here Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and then he says, and again I say rejoice. In case you didn't get it, I'm going to give you another reminder. He uses some repetition a lot in these, uh, these few verses here. In verses 1 through 4, we see some things repeated over and over again in these verses. And one of them here in verse 4 is to rejoice, and he mentions it twice. A lot of times we do need to be reminded to rejoice. In Fox News article from November 7th of 2005, so a few years old, uh, it starts like this. You will be happy in the office, and you won't whine anymore at work. Pardon my bad German ac- or Australian ac- or German accent. I am mostly German, but I don't have the accent down. After one female employee refused to smile all day at, a wor- at work, a German IT company banned grumpiness in an effort to promote a more happy atmosphere, according to the Australian. The new policy requires employees at Nuswerk in the German town of uh, Leipzig. Uh, to sign a contract requiring them to remain in a good mood all day at the office and leave complaints and gripes about coworkers and work conditions at home. So you're not allowed to complain. Well, she used to moan so much that other employees complained about her complaining. And once it was part of the contract, however, our employees really started to think positively, said office manager Thomas, and he has the German last name. Now, really, are they happier? Are they really happier, or are they just smiling so they won't get fired? Interestingly enough, the Scripture commands us to be joyful, but this is not to force a fake smile on our faces, but to encourage us to experience the true joy that God offers to every soul that draws near to Him. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Psalm 146 and verse 2, While I live... Will I praise the Lord? I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. So are you living today? If the answer is yes, then you need to be praising the Lord. You need to be rejoicing in Him. And so first of all, we're encouraged here to think with praise. Because you are what you think. And you need to make sure that we're thinking with praise according to Roman, or Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. But secondly, we're to think with perspective in verse number 5. Think with perspective. Verse number 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And here we see the request in the first part of this verse. And that is to uh, live with moderation. What does that mean? That means we're to govern our appetites to restrain our temper, to be examples of what is proper, to be temperate, to have some godly self-control. The Bible says in Galatians, in talking about the fruit of the Spirit, one one of the parts of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance. And so if we're walking in the Spirit, one of the things that's going to be evident is that we are living with moderation. We're living with temperance and self-control. 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul's talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, 
And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Well, the 2020 Olympics is coming up in Tokyo. These Olympians are training and going through uh, very rigorous training regimens in order to get themselves ready to hopefully be able to compete for a little medal this big. Now, understand getting a gold medal is a cool thing and representing your country is a cool thing. But they go through some a great discipline all to get a crown or a medal or, or something that's going to fade, that's going to be corruptible. But he said, look, we need to be temperate in all things as well because we don't do it for something that's going to fade away, that's going to burn up. We're doing it for an incorruptible crown. And I want to encourage all of us to live with the right moderation. But here's where the perspective comes in, the second part of verse 5. It says, let all your moderation be known unto all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. So first we saw the request, but now we see the reality. And the reality is the Lord is at hand. That should cause us to think, man, I better make sure that I'm living correctly because the Lord is here. As I was studying for this, commentators disagreed with what the Lord is at hand means. Some thought it meant the fact that God's presence is with us at all times as believers. Some thought, no, that means that the Lord is coming back and His, His coming is drawing nigh. And I decided, you know what? I think it means both. Because both are accurate, both are true. He is with us at all times, and His coming is drawing nigh. And so with those in mind, we better make sure that we're thinking with perspective. Well, the reality is He is everywhere, and He is with us, and He knows everything about us. Psalm 119, or 139, verse 7 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light, they're both alike to thee. Look, God knows and, and uh, we cannot flee from his presence like so many have tried. He's with us. The Lord is at hand. And so in this, we see the omnipresence of God, but we also see the fact that he is indeed coming back. James 5 and verse number 8. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. He promised he's coming back. Could happen today. The Lord is at hand. We better make sure that we're thinking with perspective. Think with praise. And we need to think with perspective. Thirdly, we need to think with prayer. Verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. Can I highlight that word? Nothing. Maybe if you have a pen or a pencil, you can underline the word nothing in that verse. Be careful for nothing. God does not want his children to live with worry or anxiety. He doesn't want his children walking around living stressful lives. That's never his intent. In fact, when we do, we're basically saying that we think that God can't handle the situation we're in. I know for some, they live this way, they live this way, and this is how their lives view, verse 6. Be careful for nothing except for the financial situation that I'm in because I'm allowed to worry about that. Or they live like, be careful for nothing except for the health situation I'm in because I have a lot of health issues and I'm allowed to worry and stress about that. Even unsaved doctors will tell you that stress does not help medical situations. It adds insult to injury. 
Some live with, be careful for nothing except for the family situation I'm in because it's okay for me to stress out about that. I mean, it's the holidays and we're going to be getting together with all the family members. I'm allowed to stress out about that right now. I'm allowed to be anxious. I'm allowed to be careful. No, friend, I'm afraid it's still sin to stress out or to worry or to be anxious about anything. Because the Bible says, be careful for nothing. You know what the word nothing means? It means nothing. And so if you're stressing about something, you're not following verse 6. And you're not thinking with prayer. You're thinking with stress. What we need to do with all the cares that come into our life, we need to turn them into prayers. So I would encourage you to turn every care into a prayer. When you start worrying or stressing or being anxious about something, then that's your cue to pray about that situation. When you start getting tense, when you start fretting, when you start worrying and being anxious and start stressing out, friend, that's not the time to go vent to a friend. That's the time to get on your knees and take it to the Lord in prayer. And when you don't, you're being disobedient to verse 6. You're carrying something that God didn't intend for you to carry. He wants you to give those burdens to Him. A big word that's been kind of a buzzword in recent memory is the word triggered. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you see something and it triggers people to anger. Well, let worry and stress and anxiety that comes into our life be the trigger that causes you to go down on your knees and say, God, I'm going through something and I need your help. Let's get triggered about that. In August of 2010, Associated Press reported uh, the story of 75-year-old Ron Svidden of Brewster, Massachusetts, who was suffering from failing health, difficulty breathing, and aggravated coughing spells. And tests showed an ominous dark spot on his lung, which he concluded was probably cancer. I mean, if it's an ominous dark spot, it's got to be cancer. Well, those feeding himself feared the worst. His doctors told him that tests were inconclusive and only exploratory surgery would prove definitive. Upon removal of the mass, lab work concluded it was nothing more than an aspirated pea which had sprouted in the dark, moist environment of his lung. Wow. Needless to say, Sveden was greatly relieved to know the certain doom he'd projected would not come to pass. And so here's the encouragement for us. Sometimes we worry about things that never come to pass. And it affects our health and it affects our family and it affects our spiritual life. And we worry about the unknown. Can I just encourage you to wait on God and trust in Him? Because sometimes what looks like an ominous dark spot is really just a pea sprout. It's no biggie. And yet we make a big deal, we lose sleep, and we uh, fail in our health, and we fail in our relationships because we're worried about something that may never come to pass. And we're not thinking with prayer. With prayer. Notice verse 6 says, be careful for nothing. And then it says, but in everything. So we have nothing here that we're supposed to stress out about, but in everything we're to carry to God in prayer. You remember the instruction of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Peter says this, casting... Does anybody know the next little three-letter word? All your cares upon Him. Not just some of the big ones. All your care upon Him. So the encouragement here that Paul is saying is think with prayer. Stop thinking with stress and human ingenuity and... and uh, well, I have a friend that I need to vent to. We don't need to vent to friends. I know that friends are there to help and be a blessing. But look, we need to go to God in prayer. Washington Phillips wrote these words, and I used them a few weeks ago, but 
I think it bears repeating in this message. And, and look, if the Apostle Paul can use repetition, so can I. I'm in good company. He wrote these words, Washington Phillips did. Now if the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold, and you'll have to get along with meager fare, just remember in God's words how he fed those little birds. Please take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Sometimes we'll go to the Lord in prayer and, and we'll talk about our situation and we'll get up and we'll still be nervous and we'll still be anxious and stressed out and worried. Take your burden to the Lord, leave it there. The next verse says, now if your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain and your soul is almost sinking in despair, look, Jesus knew the pain you'd feel. He, he can save and he can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and, and leave it there. Leave it there, brother, sister. Oh, leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you will trust him and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Have you been doing that? Or have you been trying to carry it yourself? I believe there's a lot of Christians who are not thinking with prayer. Psalm 56 and verse number 3, the psalmist said, What time I am afraid, I'm going to worry, I'm going to fret, I'm going to stress out. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to friends. I'm going to go post it on Facebook so everybody can show me their sympathy. That's what I'm going to do. That's not what the psalmist said. The psalmist says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. There's a psalmist who was thinking with prayer. He was taking his burden to the Lord and leaving it there. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Look, you have no cause for worry or for fear if you know the Lord. If you don't know the Lord, boy, you have a lot of reason to worry and to fear. But if you know the God, just trust him. That's the response that we should have. Not stress, not chaos, not running around with our heads cut off like, or a chicken with a heads cut off. And by the way, I lived in Montana for three years and we got to do that. And I saw it happen. And I had the part, the, the privilege of doing it too. It was wonderful. But you know, that is, those chickens look a lot like some Christians. They're worrying about this and running to this and, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, I don't know. We're not trusting the Lord. Stress shows your lack of faith. But supplication shows your trust in the Lord. What's it going to be? We're all going to face things that are going to tempt us to start worrying and being anxious and start being careful. What are we going to do in those moments? We're going to go deeper in stress, affect our health for the worst. I, I, I'm guessing... And I'm no doctor, but I'm guessing a lot of the medical issues that people are dealing with is because they didn't obey, verse 6. A lot of doctor, doctor bills uh, could have been avoided if we would have just done this. Because stress, as we all know, is bad for our health. And so I want to encourage us to make the healthy choice this Christmas season and choose to think with prayer. Turn every care into a prayer. And think with prayer. Number four. Let's move on. Think with peace. Verse number seven. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we follow verse six, then verse seven is a promise that we can have. A couple thoughts about the peace. The peace of God here. First, uh, I want to look at the fact that there is a positional peace. The peace with God. Do you have peace with God? And this means, do you have a relationship with Him? Romans 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one way to have peace with God, and that is through a relationship with His Son. 
And look, we're not saved because we're good. We're not saved because we're religious. We're not saved because we go to church. We're only saved through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's it, friend. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Do you have positional peace? Do you have peace with God? Has there been a time in your life when you've placed your faith in Him alone? Not anything that you've done, not anything that you are, but everything that Jesus has done. Has there been a time like that in your life? If not, December 8th, 2019, can't think of a better day than today. Make that decision today. But then, not only positional peace, but also practical peace. That's the peace of God. And that's mentioned here in verse number 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding. This is the peace that you can't really explain to an unsaved person. They don't understand what you're talking about when you say, I just, God's given me a peace about this situation. They, they, can't, they can't wrap their minds around it. They don't understand because they're not there. They're not a believer. They don't understand the practical peace of God. But I'm thankful that God does offer us that when we do indeed follow the instruction of verse 6. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on my problems. No. Whose mind is stayed on thee. When your mind is on your problems, it's going to be hard to have real peace. You know, if, if all David was thinking about when he faced Goliath was, Man, that guy's big. Man, look at those muscles. He's been doing this for a long time. He, he's good with that sword. Look how heavy that sword is. If that's what he was focused on, do you think he would have won that battle? No, he was focused on his God. He said, God is able to deliver me. Just like he delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He can deliver me out of the paw of this stinky giant. It's nothing for God. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Where is your mind? Think with peace. Oh, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when, but when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. The Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? God gives us the peace in the midst of the storm. Do you remember when the disciples were in the boat? A storm came and everybody was all nervous and anxious and stressing out. Where was Jesus? Taking a nap. You can see the Prince of Peace wasn't worried. You might be going through the craziest trial of your life, but listen, God's not worried and going, oh no, how are we going to get them out of this one? As it's been said many times, God's got this. He's in control. He knows what to do. He's not worried. He's not up in heaven uh, texting his friends, hey, what should I do? He's God. Trust in Him. So think with peace. Think with number five, purity. I'll try to hurry through these last couple thoughts here. Think with purity. Verse number eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think with purity. Now, this verse really acts as the filter in which we should pass all of our thoughts through. If a thought comes into your mind, then you need to ask yourself these questions. Is it true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? Then I can think about it. Then I can follow that train down the railroad tracks. But if it's not, then we need to cast it down. And we need to put it aside and bring it into obedience to Christ. Let me kind of go through these very quickly here this morning. First of all, is it true? Is it true? Here's what this kind of means for all of us. When we start worrying about the future, you're, you're thinking about something that you don't know is true. You start stressing about 
What lies beyond today? Look, Jesus said, look, sufficient is the day. Focus on today. Now, we need to plan for the future, and, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't think about the future, but when we do, we shouldn't worry about it and fret about it because we don't know if it's true or not. I've known people who have been convinced that this country is going to implode, and I don't know that they're wrong. I don't know that they're right either, though. And uh, so we, we, we don't need to worry about it and stress out about it. Worrying about the future, or what about assuming what other people are thinking about me? Oh, I just know what they're thinking. They must hate me, and, and I just know this. Oh, do you really? Do you really know that they do? Or are you just assuming? Is it true? Are the thoughts that you're thinking true? Is it honest? Honest means honorable. And look, we should, uh, we should extol the fine, avoid the base, emphasize the respectable, and cultivate the honorable in our lives. And, and making sure that what we're thinking about is, is good. I mean, we have, uh, we have talk shows now that uh, kind of came up in my childhood that were uh, really talking about pretty base stuff, pretty evil stuff that would never really get mentioned in public. But now all of a sudden, we're, we're having people who are like, I'm just being who I am. And I'm just putting myself out there. And it's things that we don't need to hear about. Look, if those are things that we're thinking about, we need to put those aside because we need to make sure that the things we're thinking about are honest, okay? Also, just. Just. We can easily focus on what is not right and be distracted with that. Oh, this country. Man, we've strayed from biblical values, and we have. But if that's all we think about all day long, that's a tool of the devil ultimately to distract us from fulfilling God's purpose for our life. We become so focused on things that are not just. And uh, look, I know that there's things that are worth working for, and, and uh, I understand some of that. But God wants our focus to be on things that are right and are just. We can start thinking about the unfair things of life or maybe the unfair things that have happened to us. And could I just do a quick time out and say this? Aren't you glad that life isn't exactly fair? Because if life were fair, all of us would be incinerated on the spot because of our sin. But we start focusing on the things that happened to us way in the past and we become, I'm going to try to get even with that person. I'm going to try to level the, the playing field. We can become off course. Look, is it just? Paul was certainly an example of this. He was unfairly imprisoned, yet his focus was not on, this ain't fair. His focus was on the truth and what was right instead of getting bitter and seeking justice. I imagine maybe there's been a few in here who have been hurt before. I'm not saying that justice doesn't need to come to them, but vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, saith the Lord. Let the Lord deal with it. And you focus on what is right, what is just. Okay, is it pure? Is it pure? In a day and age when purity is mocked and disregarded, God's people need to work hard at protecting our minds from the garbage that can easily defile us. I just did a quick search on some statistics. I don't have them on the screen, but if you just listen carefully, this is, this is hard to believe, but 28,000, and, and, and I think this is in America, 28,258 users are watching pornography every second. 3,075 dollars and 64 cents is spent on pornography every second. So three grand, three grand, three grand, three grand, three grand. 64 percent of not just men, but listen to this, Christian men, and 15 percent of Christian women say that they watch pornography at least once a month. Teens and young adults between the ages of 13 and 24 believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. I'm all for re recycling. 
for saving the environment. But even more important in God's mind is guarding our hearts and making sure that our hearts are pure and our minds are pure. Look, once given a lodging, impure thoughts... Here's another one uh, before I get into that. 56% 56 of divorces involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. No garbage in, garbage out. You are what you think. But once given a lodging, these impure thoughts are virtually impossible to evict. They lurk in the hidden recesses of the mind and make their presence known at the most unexpected times. They may show up when we're trying to worship and we're engaged in an innocent conversation with someone who has no idea that we are suddenly entertaining evil thoughts. Friend, if you're one of the 64%, stop. And not just, you know, well, you need to go through, stop. Stop. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are pure? Think on these things. Stop. Get a filter on your internet. Uh, we have one in our home to protect the devices that we have in our home. Get something like that. There are several options. A quick little Google search, and you'll come up with 10 to 15 options for your home and for you personally and individually. Protect yourself because God wants us to think pure thoughts. Is it lovely? Is it lovely? Verse number 8 again. Things that are gracious and good. Look, fill your mind with good things, good and godly books, good and godly movies. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch movies. But look, 99% of the trash that comes out in the movie theaters is just that. And we shouldn't be filling our minds with it. We should be filling our minds with good and godly things. Movies, books, music. Again, not just good music, and not just Christian music. We need to be careful that it is good, godly music, not just the lyrics, but the music itself is good and godly. Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Look, if everyone was made known about your thoughts this past week, would you be okay with that? I don't think any of us would. That's a good question to ask. Would this be something I wouldn't mind letting others know what I'm thinking about right now? And I just want to say this, by the way, God knows exactly what we've been thinking about the last seven days. And that should haunt us more than having our peers know what we thought us, thought, or knew about what we thought. I, I don't want you to know what I thought, but guess what? I really should care more about what he knows, I think. So what are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? Think with purity. Last thought, and believe it or not, this is actually going to be a very quick one. Think with practice. Verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. The God of peace shall be with you. Paul said, look, though I'm not perfect, you've seen me live this way. You've seen me have this type of thought life. You've seen me rejoice in the Lord. You've seen me not get stressed out. You've seen me go to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> you've seen me uh, have the peace of God, and, and you've seen me try to think right thoughts. Those things that you've seen in me and learned of me and received of me, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to go and do it. I want you to practice it. Look, this passage is wonderful. Precious verses to a lot of us. But it's only going to be helpful if we take heed and do it. Like a doctor prescribing medicine. That medicine does you zero good unless you put it in. And you actually take it. A physical trainer. Some of us will start working out January 1st. And that physical trainer gives you a list of exercises, a list of things to do. You're not going to get in shape unless you do it. When it comes to these things, it's good to know that we need to have, we need to think with praise. It's good to know that we need to think with perspective. It's good to know that we need to think with prayer and think with peace and purity. But I don't want you going out just knowing it. 
I want you to go out and practice it. I want you to go out, and I want me to go out from this place this morning doing the Word of God. James 1.22, but be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only. And James 4.17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So think with practice. So I ask you, based on your thought life, Who are you really? Because after all, you are what you think. Not what you appear to be, but what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The battlefield is in the Christian life is indeed in the mind. And so may God help us to think with praise and to do so in the good and difficult times always. May he help us to think with perspective and to remember that the Lord is at hand. May we think with prayer and take every care and turn it into a prayer. To think with peace and then with purity. Like any journey, it begins with the very first step. And and friend, won't you take that step today by changing your thinking patterns? By going away from this place and maybe doing a little brain surgery. May the Lord help us to think right thoughts, to think with praise, to think with prayer and perspective, peace, purity, and then to go and practice it, to go and do it. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the time you've given us this morning. Lord, I pray that the word of God has done its work and the spirit of God has done its work. Lord, now I pray that you would help us to now go and do what we have heard. Because really the sermon isn't ending right now. It is only beginning. Now the real test of the sermon is going to be put to its feet. Lord, help us to now go and do what we have heard. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Yes, we've heard it. But now help us to heed it.